This is Jesse Bernhardt. I play for the Chesapeake Bayhawks in the MLL, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. On Schreiber. Snyder with scores! Allen scores! Ball Rabel splits two and scores! Kylie Omeller showing off those shifty skills. Kelly, not shy, bounces one home! What a start! Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hunt, he's Adam, and together we're bringing you interviews with your favorite players and coaches, as well as news from all four professional lacrosse leagues. Stoked to have you guys for another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. We are recapping the MLL Championship weekend, as well as some developing news on the future of the Rattlers franchise. A lot to talk about. Adam, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Just getting done another week of travel for work, so I'm excited to get in on some of these semifinal and championship games and talk about the MLL. Yeah, it was a great weekend for lacrosse. Um, if You kind of shut off your TV when the PLL ended. You missed some great games because uh, we had a great weekend. Um, all close. Two were decided by one goal, and the other was decided by two. So uh, some phenomenal games. Um, so let's just dive right into it, Adam. The Blaze got off to a hot start, pun intended. Um, they were firing on all cylinders. Their guys like Brian Cole and Mark Matthews had some sick highlight goals, uh, and they really got it going for this Blaze team and really had this Bayhawks team on their, their heels. So what did you see from this first half? It was a really strong half by by the squad, you know. And another guy that came up big was the rookie of the year, uh, Alex Woodall. You know, he was able to win nine of the first uh, fifteen faceoffs uh, in the, in that semifinal game and came out big. Um, so it was a really strong showing in the first half by by a Blaze team that that came out on fire. You know, they had Mark Matthews moving around, Randy Stotts. So the the same people as usual um, were coming up big for the Atlanta Blaze offense. Um, it just was that dreaded third quarter again for them. We, we've seen that throughout the year with them the last few games and, and for a lot of teams this year. That that second half start is just what downed a lot of squads. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I was on, I'll be honest, I was nervous for the Bayhawks um, you know, early on. I mean, they went into that second half uh, down 9-4, to four, and, you know, the, the Blaze really looked like they were going to just pi- continue to pile it on. Um, but, you know, again, that third quarter doomed them. The Bayhawks... Uh, scored six goals to the Blazes' one. Yeah, so then it was 10-10 heading into the fourth quarter, and the Bayhawks ended up taking a 13-12 lead with less than two minutes left. Uh, Atlanta had another chance to uh, tie it up, and Warren Jeffrey came up with a huge uh, turnover. Dave Kyle called a timeout, and it looked like, you know, they were going to be able to ice the game, but uh, that did not happen. Uh, Christian Mazzone came up with a huge turnover on the ride on Matt Abbott, to recover the ball for the Blaze, and they end up putting one away with less than 30 seconds left in the game to tie it and send it to overtime. Uh, kind of ironic, you know, given that Matt Abbott in 2009 was the one that scored that Syracuse goal that sent them into overtime with Cornell in the NCAA championship, and they would end up coming away with a victory. Um, so we got some bonus lacrosse right out of the gate. And the savior of the day, though, was Steel Stanwick on a nasty low-to-low rip. He had a nice C-cut. Caught it, ripped it low to low, uh, put the game away for the Bayhawks, and they survived to advance to the championship. But uh, a great game, valiant effort by the Blaze. And, you know, we both talked about how we wouldn't have been surprised if the Blaze came away with the victory and they nearly pulled it off. Um, disappointing for them to lose in their first playoff game. But, you know, a valiant effort by the Atlanta squad. And, you know, we, we talked last week about the higher scoring uh, it got. I, I felt like it was going to be uh, advantage blaze, but kudos to the Chesapeake offense for coming back and 
it's just such a shame. We talked about it the last few weeks. I know we, we keep ragging on the defensive side of the ball for the Blaze, but they just weren't able to hold that lead going into the second half. And it just was their consistent uh, Achilles heel all year was that the defensive side of the ball. They're, the offense, I mean, you put the Bayhawks defense on the Blaze, and I, I think they're winning the championship with that high-powered offense that the ATL has. Um, but they just weren't able to kind of overcome that third quarter and, and weren't able to win. But kudos for, for our friend Steele to come up big in, in the overtime period. Uh, and he came up big in the championship, as we'll talk about later. Yeah, no, and uh, I think, too, though, you got to look at the offense a little bit, too. They were doing so well in those first two quarters. And um, to kind of lay an egg in that third quarter was was it was huge, you know. And they, they still got some good possessions, but... I think you got to give credit to the Bayhawks defense for really locking them down. Again, like rookie Warren Jeffrey uh, had a phenomenal game. Um, you know, he would have a, a great championship game as well. Um, and I think, you know, we said the magic number for them was 15 goals, and then they ended up needing, you know, 14 to get that victory, and they, they just couldn't get it done. So uh, unfortunate for them, uh, but a phenomenal game for that first game. Um, but then, you know, we had a, another great game uh, from the Cannons and the Outlaws following that. Uh, Cannons got off to a hot start as well. And, you know, that seemed to be the story of the day was teams getting off to a hot start but kind of failing to last down the stretch. Um, and they're a team, you know, that put together, you know, a pretty consistent effort throughout the regular season. Um, you know, Zed Williams, Zeddy ball game, he had four goals and assist on the day, and he started off with an assist to Kyle Jackson. Um, and they got off to a 5-1 run uh, that eventually would lead to a 7-3 lead at after one quarter. Um, so this game, you know... Right out of the gate was high scoring. Uh, second quarter, you know, saw Boston maintain their lead. They traded goals with the Outlaws. They eventually went up 11-7. But that late rally by the Outlaws closed the gap to 12-10 uh, with the quarter approaching its end. Um, however, again, that, that momentum swing went back to the Cannons because Mark Cockerton put a goal away at the last second before halftime. So, they, you know, they went into halftime still with the momentum and the lead uh, 13-10, um, you know, in a good spot. Obviously, uh, not as big a lead as they went into after the first quarter, but... They were sitting pretty good, um, and it was tight as ever going into halftime. You know, 13 shots, two saves, 22 ground balls, and 11 for 23 faceoff percentage for the Outlaws. Uh, to the Cannons, 14 shots, three saves, 24 ground balls, and 12 for 23 percentage. And then the second half got off to a bang with Zach Courier, who had a diving goal on the crease, um, but that was waved off on a controversial call that will actually come into play a little bit later as well as we're, we'll discuss, but... Um, I don't know. Did you see the play? I, I thought this was a bad call. Honestly, I think Courier had the right to be upset. Um, you know, he left the, the, his feet, uh, scored the goal before he landed in the crease. Um, I didn't see him, you know, make contact with the goaltender before the ball crossed. I really didn't know what they were watching on this one, but they ended up waving that off. Um, and then Cal Durth, who had four goals in the day, gave the Cans a four-goal lead, and it looked like, you know, the Cans were going to run away with it. Um, but they began to unravel. Uh, you know, after Kyle Denoff and Kyle Jackson both went down with injuries. Um, but, you know, it was uh, a four-goal run by Denver that got him back in this game, and none other than our, none other than the GOAT himself, John Grant Jr. He, he is just a human highlight reel, man. When, when you think uh, a guy is just kind of not – he's just the absolute human highlight reel, man. At 44, to still be playing the way he, he did this weekend – it, he's the, the absolute goat, you know. I, I think he could be playing uh, six years down the road, put on the pads after being retired for a couple of years, and, and still. 
be be a fantastic player. Just look if you saw some of the highlight goals uh, from this one and the highlight passing, man, it, it was just unbelievable to watch it. It's just been such a pleasure to watch him all season. Um, after we weren't sure that we, we'd see him on the field again, it, 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 we were kind of watching greatness this weekend, despite um, them losing the championship. He, he came up huge in the semifinal game. Yeah, 44 years old. He had three goals in two minutes and 23 seconds, um, including you know some gorgeous behind-the-back shots, some yeah. crease dives. I mean, the man plays like he's 25 years old out there. Um, you know, we t- want to talk about Tom Brady being a guy who has really defied time. I mean, John Grant Jr. is doing it. You know, in lacrosse, and he's not, you know, he's not a guy that's just like, you know, getting easy, like on the crease dunks. He's scoring in these most athletic ways possible at 44 years old. It's just unbelievable to watch. And, you know, I, I think we're taking for granted history that we're watching right now. Um, you know, he, he was he brought that, that Denver team back into this game and they end up tying it up 14-14. Um, and they would trade goals to make it 15-15 before Chris Aslanian, who had also had four goals and an assist on the day. Um, and Zach Courier put two more in the net to give Outlaws a 17-15 lead in the eventual win. Um, but, yeah, you know, John Grant Jr., uh, his five goals that propelled this team to the fourth consecutive MLL championship was the story. And, you know, we had a great storyline going in this championship between him and Lyle. Really kind of the, the past and John Grant Jr., um, the veteran, versus a young guy like Lyle Thompson, who's really reaching his prime, um, set up a, a great matchup for us on Sunday. Yeah, and, and uh, b- before we move on to the championship, I have to say, uh, to, to praise Nick Morocco, I mean, he stood on his head a, a good deal. I know I know the stats don't really show it. He, he gave up more goals uh, than saves, to 17 goals um, to 16 saves, but uh, he had a fantastic year. I, I talked about in previous pods, like when we were going through the MLO awards, that I thought he should have been a finalist for uh, the goalie of the year. He's a fantastic player, one of the best in the league, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching him play going forward. Yeah, no, and he, he was honored, too, with the Dave Huntley uh, Award, Man of the Year Award, uh, well-deserving there. You know, I'm reading his book right now, Lacrosse the Globe, which is kind of touching on how we can really grow this game at a global level. And, you know, he's done a lot for the Boston community in terms of cancer, visiting cancer patients, the Boston Cans Foundation. So disappointing, you know, that they, they end up not getting that win, um, but well-deserving, too, with the Dave Huntley Man of the Year Award. Um, but, yeah, let's now dive into this championship game, Adam. Uh, very controversial. We'll get to that kind of later, but this game was all Bayhawks at the start on uh, the first quarter, and the Bayhawks kind of kept rolling in that second quarter. Uh, went on a 3-1 run at one point and, you know, made it 8-3. Um, so that was going into the half, trailing 8-3, uh, really backs against the wall. And they come out, and their defense has a dominant third quarter. Uh, kudos to Dylan Ward, all-star goalie. He shut out the Chesapeake's offense. And then Max Adler, who was on our podcast recently, 11 for 22 faceoffs on the day, but he dominated that third quarter um, and really gave the Outlaws the opportunity to put away, you know, two goals and make it 8-5 leading into the fourth quarter, uh, you know, still down. But they obviously closed that gap um, and were able to give themselves a chance to win. But what did you see from this third quarter that kind of got them back in this game? Yeah, you, you mentioned it uh, a little bit ago, but Max Adler's play was fantastic. And, you know, you would have thought the uh, – 
the Bayhawks uh, offense caught what the uh, Blaze had in that third quarter woes, whatever they had, because the defense of the Outlaws, kudos to defensive coordinator Matt Bocklet, they, they were able to really stymie the, the Bayhawks offense who, who was hot up to that point. But yeah, no, and you know, who other than John Grant Jr. too, to, to lead the scoring, he had a goal and two assists uh, in the game, and Ryan Lee had a hat trick. Um, a beautiful wraparound goal from John Grant Jr., and then everyone saw his flip pass that ended up making Sports Center top 10, uh, where he flicked it to Ryan Lee right on the crease. And then uh, Denver ended up taking a 9 8 lead with 7.51 to play, um, and, you know, really looked like they were in the driver's seat. Uh, Bayhawks had no answer. They hadn't scored a goal in over a quarter, um, and it would take five minutes of scoreless lacrosse before they ended up getting a goal following going down 9-8, and it was Steel Stanwix crease dive that was initially waved off, and then the refs, you know, called it a good goal. So this is where the controversy started to come into play, and, you know, I can understand um, Courier's frustration from the call on Friday night after seeing this, but I did think this was a good goal as well. You know, we talk about you're not supposed to make contact with the goalie, and Steele did make contact with the goalie prior to the ball crossing the line, but I don't think he initiated it. And the rule says you have to initiate it. And it was actually Dylan Ward who stepped towards him. So, you know, it's, it's a ticky-tacky call. I mean, we talk about all day in the college game how the dive, uh, you know, is a phenomenal play to watch, but so tricky to officiate. Um, and it's really, really caused a lot of problems in both the college game and, you know, kind of the pro game. And um, so they end up getting that controversial call and tying it up uh, 9-9 late in the, the game. Um, but... That's not where the issue lies, and this is where we'll get into, you know, the Outlaws really took exception to not only this call, but uh, later a missed timeout as well. But I think you got to look yourselves in the mirror because that steel stand-up crease dive ended with a late hit on him and another sportsmanlike contact penalty called on Denver. So they go two men down with 2.15 left to play. You can't just take a penalty. You can't take two penalties and go two men down uh, that late in the game in a championship game. Like, that's on the Outlaws for that. I mean, I don't know. What, what did you feel, Adam? Yeah, I, I, I think I might lean the other way from the goal standpoint. I, I, I would be mad if I was Zach Courier and the, and the Outlaws. I, I think his hand might have been in the hit the crease before. I'm disagreeing with you when it comes to uh, the goal side of things. But after the play, I, I can, being a former goalie, like I, I'm. I'm always proud of a defensive player sticking up for his goalie, but this is not the time and place to be doing that. If, if we're in the first quarter of a regular season game, hey, you make sure that the other team knows <laughs> that you don't mess with their goalie. But you can't take a penalty there with, that ties a game up and, and makes you go man down with this little amount of time in the in the fourth quarter of a championship game. That's just that's just hotter heads taking over when they really needed to play it cool. Yeah, no, because say what you will about the goal. I mean, the goal was, you know, waved off initially, um, but that hit was way late. It was way late. So, I mean, like, that that's where you, you got to look yourself in the mirror if you're the Outlaws players. Like, I, I get it. Like, they had a, a tough call, you know, go against them here. You know, it went against them the opposite way on Friday. I get they were the same crew. I understand that. Like, I sympathize with them on that. But look yourself in the mirror. You took two penalties with 2.15 left to play. Put your defense in a terrible spot, um, and they actually came up big. You know, they actually held, held them for that whole minute um, to no goals. And, uh, you know, I say what you will, whether that, that goal should have counted or not, but, you know, you, you gave the, the, the Bayhawks this chance, and um, so I think that's where it lies. Um, but now we get into the real controversy. So they ended up 
you know, preventing any goals from being scored. You know, they, they stifle that Bayhawks uh, man-up offense, and they recover the ball with just a little over a minute to play. Um, and it's, you know, Eli Gobrek who ends up scooping up the ground ball. And I, I counted, he, he had it for three seconds in his stick. Um, ended up losing it. Chesapeake regains possession. And this is where the controversy lies. Coach, the Outlaws coach, Tony Seaman, attempted to call a timeout during this time. It was not a word to him. Um, they were flipping out on the sidelines. And this is where I, I got to lean, you know, with the Outlaws on this. So I get three seconds is not a lot. So, you know, I, I don't think you can pin the game on this situation. But if you're an official, you have to know the coach wants a timeout. And they came out and said after the fact, you know, uh, Matt Bocklet said that they, they told them, if we get possession of the ball, you know, we want to call a timeout. Sure. And as a ref, you, you know that, like, that's what you got to do. Like, you should see it right away. So I will say it was three seconds. That's a lot, not that much time, you know, to have possession. Um, but, but it's three seconds long enough. Yeah, three seconds long enough. I agree. So that, um, you know, that did kind of rub me the wrong way. Um, but, you know, again, it's still 10-10. You know, the Outlaws still haven't lost this game yet. Um, I get, you know, they would have had a, a chance to, to kind of win the game themselves outright, but haven't lost the game yet on defense. And after some quick passing, you know, Chesapeake found rookie Andrew Q, who buried a time and room shot to give the Bayhawks the lead. Um, and that's when everything began to unravel. Coach Seaman uh, got after it, gave the officials an earful. Zach Courier was giving the officials an earful. He ends up getting ejected. Um, and everything just starts to unravel uh, for the for the Outlaws. And Bayhawks would run the clock out. Uh, they would earn their franchise's sixth title, the most in MLL history, with Steel Stanwick finishing two goals, one assist on the day, and being named player of the game. Uh, phenomenal game that unfortunately was, you know, marred by this, uh, you know, chain of events that, you know, this controversial ending. Um, and, you know, I, I feel for Outlaws fans, but, you know, again, you got to look yourself in the mirror. You, you didn't put yourself in the best spot. Um, you, wouldn't have nest- you wouldn't have won the game even if you had gotten that timeout. You know, you don't know. Maybe they would have gone down and scored, but, uh, you know, it's not like they called off a goal that would have been the game winner. So that's where I, I just think, you know, it, it's disappointing, but you can't, you can't overreact like they have. Yeah, and it, it's tough. You know, it, it kind of, just from the Twitter follow, kind of reminded me of the, the Saints-Rams last year. with that, Absolutely. With that uh, blown uh, pass interference call uh, in the NFC Championship game. The, the Saints had a chance to, to win despite that afterwards, and so did the Outlaws. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for them. So um, I, I, I feel for them, like you said. I feel for the fans. It, it's a tough way to go out um, and tough way to end a championship. But kudos uh, to the Bayhawks for winning it, and I'm excited to see what the offseason has to bring, which we'll talk about in a few. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, I think, like you said, with, like, the Saints thing, that's a good analogy because, you know, in sports we tend to pin it on one play. You know, that's we need a scapegoat. Um, their scapegoat happened to be the refs, not giving them a timeout. It's understandable. Again, I feel for them. Um, but I, another thing that we're going to dive into now is this controversy actually lasted long after the game. Um, there were reports from people that were at the game that said the fans were nasty to the refs, you know, calling out like they were going to track them down. They were throwing trash and garbage at them. I, you know, that's just not a good look for the sport. Luckily, that wasn't on the broadcast at all. Um, but, you know, if that's those reports are true, that's just not a good look for the sport. I get it. You know, it was an outlaws crowd there in Denver. Um, but you have to have a cooler head if you're a fan. Um, and, you know, the, the outlaws, they took to social media to – you know, show their disappointment, and they have every right to do that. 
Um, but this is where I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit because, um, you know, this was all about the MLL. This is all about the officials. This is about a championship game that had an unfortunate, you know, controversial ending. Um, and instead of celebrating the Bayhawks, what are we talking about again, Adam? We're talking about the PLL versus the MLL. And I cannot stress enough how sick and tired I am of hearing the debate from fans. Now, I get it. If you're in the league or if you're a player, you have every right. If you're a player in the MLL and you're on the PLL now and, you know, you've enjoyed what the PLL has brought you that you didn't have at the MLL, that's your right. You're allowed to say whatever you want. You know, I know guys like Jake Bernhardt, you know, like to poke fun at the MLL. He has every right to do that. You know, he's a player. But the fans going out against each other and talking to these players, there were so many people that were saying, oh, join the PLL. Zach Courier confirmed to the PLL. Like, maybe he is going to the PLL. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure if I was Zach Courier after losing the championship game the way he did, I don't want to hear from people on Twitter about how I should go to the other league. You know, I just lost a championship in the league that I play for. You don't want to hear that. And so I, I was really annoyed by that. That really got me. Um, and another thing that people should, you know, be aware of, I know I tweeted this out, um, the MLL and the PLL use the same refs. <laughs> There's plenty of refs that refed in the PLL that refed in the MLL. I know the, the one guy we talked about was Brian Abbott. Uh, he, he refed, you know, in the PLL earlier in the season, and he refed in the MLL championship. And he was a head crew chief. So, I mean, he, he's a professional ref. They have professional guys doing it. Some calls may have not gone the way that you had hoped, but they, they are professional and tenured refs. And they're in, like you said, there's refs that were in both leagues. Uh, that's not the talking point uh, that we wanted to get out of this. You know, it, it's, it, it's tough. I'm, I'm sure it's not what the MLL wanted. Uh, nope. Obviously, yeah. so it's it's just it's tough to see, and I I know I I don't know why fans can't iron sharpens iron, right? With the PLL coming in, both leagues got better this year in a variety of different ways, uh, and you you like the competition, but stop picking sides. I don't really get it. No, yeah, and and I think you hit the nail on the head there too, Adam, because um, you can take sides. Like you can have a preference. We both have preferences on what league we prefer, you know, and. Uh, we, we, we like some stuff from the one league and we like some stuff from the other league. You know, we, we're kind of pick and choosy in that regard. Like, if you're all in on the PLL, that's fine. Be positive about the PLL. Don't tear down the other league and the p- fans of the other league because, you know, you want to make yourself feel better. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head is iron sharpens iron. These leagues, the MLL did a way better job this year than it did last year because it had competition in the PLL. Competition is good. But what the problem is, this competition has degraded into um, more trash talking between the fans and divided the lacrosse community. That's not what it should be about. The players can go at each other. The leagues itself, the leagues themselves can go at each other. That's their prerogative. I mean, they're competing leagues. They're competitors. They have every right to do that. I will never tell a player like what he can't, can or can't say because that's not my place. But the fans, I mean, we just witnessed the greatest summer of professional lacrosse and what we're talking about is which league is better rather than enjoying that we had twice as much lacrosse on. I mean, that's the, the big thing here that I think people need to realize. You know the last time we had 12 pro field lacrosse teams in one season? You know when that was? It was 2000 and never. We've never had 12 professional field lacrosse teams. And we have five women's teams, might we add it, you know? It has been the greatest summer of professional lacrosse, and I think that's where I want to segue this conversation into is we need to appreciate that more. You know, we need to talk about how great of a summer we had it as lacrosse fans. You know, you might prefer one league over the other. That's fine. 
you know, but the products from both leagues were better than they were last year. Obviously, the PLO, it's its first year, um, but it, you know, has probably given us the best model of what professional lacrosse can be on TV. Um, they did a lot of other great things, right? The MLL stepped up its game, and despite having a limited player pool and having to rely on a lot of guys that had never played professional lacrosse before, um, they put out a great product. This weekend was phenomenal. You know, these games were just as exciting as many of the PLL games we saw. So I think that's my biggest point from all of this is appreciate the best summer of lacrosse that we just witnessed. Appreciate that. Let's not as fans get caught up on which league is better. You know, you can debate it and discuss it. I'm fine with that. But let's not just throw, keep throwing mud, um, you know, at the other leagues. So I, I just say if you're a professional lacrosse fan, enjoy the professional lacrosse, um, whatever league you prefer. But let's not tear down other people's preferences um, so that, that's just my point. I want to get out of this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely see where you're coming from. And, you know, we, we, we've had an awesome opportunity to talk to players, uh, and, and staff members in both leagues, and they're both working hard to put out a great product they are passionate about the sport they play, um, whether it's the PLL or MLL, and they're trying to put out the best products that, that they can. So, um, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, no. And, you know, a lot of these players, they have different reasons for joining different leagues. You know, I mean, a guy like Steel Stanwick, Coaches at Hopkins, he likes being a hometown guy, you know, and um, so, you know, you got to see the advantages to each league. Um, I, you know, that will get into our our other discussion. You know, we do think one's eventually going to prevail, but for right now, I just say enjoy that we have as much lacrosse as we do. Again, we were treated to six, almost seven sometimes games a weekend. Um, So, you know, enjoy that. Don't, don't get so caught up on, you know, these leagues going back and forth. Um, But, you know, that's the end of my rant on that, but, uh, you know, just, just enjoy it, guys. Um, and that kind of brings me to another little fun thing that is 100% not going to happen, but we'd love to see an MLL, PLL, Super Lacrosse Bowl, as I want to call it. Will it happen? No. These leagues obviously don't like each other. Should it happen? Yes. It would be phenomenal for the sport of lacrosse. We would, could get almost what an AFL, NFL type of situation of football years of old, um, you know, with lacrosse right now. Um, it would be awesome. Uh, it almost be a Maryland alumni uh, game at this point because you had so many Maryland alumni on the Bayhawks as well as the Whipsnakes. Um, so, but yeah, you know, we, we kind of threw it out there on social media. I know a lot of people have been talking about it. Obviously, it's not realistic. It's it's not going to happen, unfortunately, at least not now. Um, but it, it's fun to speculate, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I highly doubt it's going to happen. Neither league really recognizes the other on social media or really anything so mm-hmm. uh not gonna happen but fun idea i think it would be fun um you know it'd be tricky with you know the different rules and stuff um uh, but that's another thing i just wanted to throw in there because i know we've had a lot of fun discussing that on social media um and you know who we think would win and stuff but now we're gonna get into some more serious news about you know the future of professional lacrosse but before we do that uh, let's take a quick break hear a word from our sponsor and then we'll get back into the mll discussion Today's show is being brought to you in part by Stitcher Premium. You can use Stitcher Premium to listen to shows ad-free such as Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, My Favorite Murder, Wolverine the Lost Trail, or our favorite, The Fantasy Footballers. For only $4.99 a month or $34.99 a year, you get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, and comedy albums. Better yet, if you go over to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code lacrosse today, you can get one month free. So head on over to Stitcher, sign up, and get your free trial today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, so welcome back. So we are recording this uh, right off the heels of hearing that the Dallas Rattlers um, are without owner Jim Davis. He has supposedly sold the team back to the league. They ceased operations temporarily while they find a new owner. Kyle Devitt with Inside Lacrosse first reported the news that they would be uh, ceasing operations. And then Dan Arestia followed that up saying that they have found an owner. It hasn't been announced yet. Um, The MLL just did vote uh, on something. We don't know what. They had a meeting. Uh, it can only be assumed that they're voting on the new owner, but we haven't heard anything as of recording this podcast. What do you think about the whole situation with Jim Davis, who owns New Balance, getting out of the MLL, at least in ownership-wise? Yeah, you know, it was super interesting. I think we, we talked uh, offline. I was texting you when, when the uh, Rattlers had their pop-up sale for 75% off all their merchandise. That kind of put some... Uh, triggered some uh, flashing lights going off on my head of what was happening, especially when you have Jim Davis's other three teams folding prior to the season. It was almost like writing on the wall that he, he was trying to get out of the league, and um, I'm glad. Hopefully the news is true that there, there is a new owner and they'll be able to stay afloat uh, in the Dallas area. You know, the fans really hit it on Twitter for the Rattlers uh, when it was announced potentially that they were folding, that they were not too pleased. So uh, we saw what happened with the Ohio machine uh, fans and the, the fans of the, the launch um, and the Hounds. They, they were really bummed that their team's uh, seasons were cut short when they folded. So uh, hopefully this is good news that they – um, are going to be sticking around, but honestly, with, with how the off season went last year for them, having a college dra- collegiate draft um, for all of those teams, and then folded them after the draft, I don't trust anything until news is kind of set in stone that there is another owner uh, in place. What does this do for for the New Balance sponsorship for the MLL? I'm not sure. That's something that's still going to be up in the air. Did he pull that sponsorship when he left the league, or is that going to be something that sticks around? Obviously, the MLL is probably hoping that that's, that's the case, that they're going to hold that. Um, pretty interesting now that the New Balance pulled their uh, sponsorship with Paul Rabel, like we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, when they may not have the sponsorship in that competing league now. Um, but I'm hoping for the best that the Rattlers, you know, they had a, a rough start of the season, but ended really strong with, with a, a good group of young players. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping for the best for them, but uh, somewhat pessimistic at the moment with this news just how it's been rolled out by the MLL yeah no I'd like to see that core group of guys on the Rattlers you know stay together too it'd be disappointing you know after a phenomenal run to the second half of the season for them to you know have to be dispersed but um, I'm actually more optimistic you know I think there's probably a buyer out there um, you know that may be interested in getting into lacrosse you know we don't have any details on who that might be but you know I'm hoping that there is somebody because you know it's not good for the league for them to lose another team, um, you know, it starts to get really tricky when you get down to five and, you know, less than that. So, um, you know, right now it, it, they're kind of in limbo. And, you know, it, it's a shame, too, about the, the people working at the, the Rattlers organization that it sounds like a lot of them lost their jobs. Um, I don't know if those jobs are going to come back with a new owner or not. So, uh, yeah, definitely we'll be monitoring the situation and keeping you posted. But 
Um, I guess this kind of leads into our bigger conversation, too. Now it's time we can actually talk about the PLL and the MLL um, and, you know, the future of lacrosse. Do you see a merger on the horizon? Do you see one just outlasting the other? I don't know. What What do you see from the future right now? It's way too early to predict, but um, what is your kind of your at-a-glance uh, perspective of this? Yeah, right Right now, I don't I don't see a merger happening. They, they've been too steadfast at this point uh, through, through one season. I think they're going to probably stick it out in at least another season, being separate entities, and, and they're going to go from there. I, I, I think the PLL, obviously, as Paul Rabel has said, they're, they're coming out with some big news coming up soon. So keep to Twitter to see, see what that big news is. They're putting out content still. They're, they're doing their thing. Um, hopefully the MLL can keep up with them. Um, but they, they need to get their stuff together, you know. To what We need to know what the frame uh, of the offseason is going to look like for them. Uh, we just There's more questions than answers when it comes to the MLL right now, and I'm hoping they're going to be answered pretty soon so uh, we can have the discussion about uh, what, what an offseason looks like. I'm so excited, uh, if the MLL is still around, to, to see – what the player movement like is like what players that were in the PLL maybe weren't getting playing time moved to the MLL. If that's, is that a possibility vice versa for uh, MLL to PLL, you know, we're, we're super excited and curious uh, with, with some of the players we've talked about, like Lyle, Ron Pinnell, are they going to make the move? We, we, we just don't know. Um, and I'd be, I hate that to be cut short. If one of these leagues uh, is not in uh, commission anymore after, after the next couple of weeks. So I'm really excited to see what this off season is like, what the college players do too. You know, the drafts are, pretty much right around the corner um and they're going to be right right around each other so it's like four-dimensional chess but two games going on at once with uh, two different players playing both games you know um, i'm really really excited to see what the future holds yeah no and uh, i'm with you on the whole merger thing i don't i don't think it will happen either um just because yeah the, the i think that that the ship's kind of sailed you know i think paul was willing to work with the mll when they looked to buy them and then then when they shut the door on that idea i think it was a little bitter. The only reason I could see a merger maybe happening is there's so much history at the MLL. Um, and we, we can't forget the MLL back in 2001 was exactly where the PLL is right now. It was exciting. It was fresh. It was new. You know, I mean, there was intense competition. Like, it, it was really giving field lacrosse its due at the professional level back in 2001. Um, and it kind of lost that at some point, you know. And I don't know when that was, when they expanded too much and then they had to reduce you know, back in 2008 with the recession. Um, but, you know, I, I think PLL has kind of reignited that and taken it at another level. It's kind of brought it into the 21st century. Um, but, yeah, I think you mentioned, too, like, you know, I think a lot of fans want to see, you know, one of these leagues prevail and the other die, and I think it's kind of premature for that. You know, I think one will outlast the other, but, again, enjoy the amount of lacrosse we have. For the players, too, they now have leverage. They didn't have that before. It's like, hey, you can either sign with the MLL or, or not. And now they have leverage. It's like they can, you know, kind of finagle these contracts with either the MLL or the PLL. They can kind of be in the driver's seat when it comes yep. to which league they choose. And I think that's getting overlooked as well. Um, you know, if you have a guy that comes out of college, he has good job offers, maybe just wants to play in the MLL, you know. And I think we want to move away from that eventually because we do want this to be a professional sport and these athletes to be treated as professionals and treated as a full-time job. But, you know, for some people, the reality is they, they have full-time jobs. They're coaches, you know, they're businessmen. So, I don't know. Again, I, I don't think we want to get too caught up in, um, you know, the politics and 
stuff behind the scenes with these with these leagues. Um, and you know, we should get more caught up in, like you said, the player movement, who's going to what league. That's exciting stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't know if a merger's really on the horizon. I don't know how a merger would even work, honestly. You know, I think I could see Paul Rabel if the MLL did come to them saying, you know, we'd like to to merge. I could see him wanting to keep the team's history. Um, but I think at this point, I think he wants to kind of just outlast the MLL. Um, you know, kind of again, they're a single entity model. So how do you bring in franchises? How does that work? Would these teams come in with the same rosters and then you know be absorbed in the PLL and then you know have uh, be absorbed in the single entity where they're operated you know by the PLL or would they you know have some teams be franchised or not? It, it's a tricky situation. I wouldn't see. I I think. The Rabels have built a pretty um, solid structure with the single entity, so I don't see them wanting to rock that boat at least early on with all the good things they have going with them. But you know, it'll be interesting to see. Um, it'll be interesting off season. I think we're in a, for a real roller coaster, and you know, we'll be at the forefront of it. So you know, keep listening. You know, keep giving us your your feedback. Again, like we love talking about uh, where the, you think these leagues are going. Like, let's have some substantial conversations. Let's not just say, you know, this league's better because of this. Let's actually talk about, like, you know, what are some of these advantages to the different leagues? Like, are there advantages to having, you know, region-based teams? Or, you know, should we keep, should lacrosse keep going with this uh, barnstorming model? Because it's really, you know, worked well um, for the PLL this first year. So uh, it, it's fun to have these discussions, and we always appreciate you guys, you know, talking about it. But um, I think that brings us, you know, to kind of towards the end of our podcast. Um, one thing we have not talked about, and it pains me to say it, but I picked the Outlaws in the championship. You picked the Bayhawks, and you end up finishing 45 and 36. I finished 44 and 37. You are our champion for the game picks. Congratulations. Um, I don't know if you've thought about where would you like me to take you out for dinner. This is the first week that I, I was ahead, and I picked a darn good week. Uh, to be ahead in the in the standing, so um, uh, we can figure out where I uh, where we go out to lunch or dinner at a later point. But uh, picked a good week uh, to get that dub. Uh, my Bayhawks came out ahead. Yeah, you did, uh, and you know I think we talk about in lacrosse. There's a saying: uh, the two goal lead is the worst lead to have, and I, I feel like I was riding that two win lead for a while and just keeping you around, letting you hang around with the picks, and you know you came out on top in the end. So congratulations to you. I'm looking forward to you know beating you in the NLL game picks. Uh, that'll be more fun too with all the teams that are playing in the NLL this year. Um, but yeah, it, it was fun. We had a lot of fun. You couldn't have asked for a better you know uh, competition between us, and to come down to the final weekend uh, was pretty fun. So yeah, we we had a great time. You know that kind of wraps up our summer of field lacrosse coverage. But we're going to keep going in this off season. We have NLL coverage coming up. Um, we're going to be continuing. You know, full speed steam ahead with our interviews throughout the offseason. We have Andrew Q, who scored that game winning goal for the Bayhawks, coming up with us next week. Uh, we're going to be talking the PLO offseason. We have a lot of ideas that we've talked about with you guys on social media. We're going to kind of put that into one big podcast. And so now's a good time for you guys to you know, uh, give us your feedback. We are now on Flick, which is a new podcast platform. They create groups for your podcast. So not only can you stream our podcast on this platform called Flick, well, you can actually ask us questions and interact with us. We're going to be on there. Um, you know, we put up a question like, what guests do you guys want to have on, on our podcast in the future? What guests would you like to see? You know, we've gotten some people that they want Rob Pinnell and Casey Powell 
we were happy to say we're in contact with those guys. You know, we haven't scheduled anything yet, but you know, they are going to be on our podcast in the future. And you know, that's in part for you guys suggesting those guys. So we, we have a lot of plans uh, to kind of really use this Flick platform. It's relatively new. Um, so be, feel free to jump on that. Um, another thing that we will be doing in the month of October into November is we are going to have a Wax Stash Madness team for Headstrong Foundation. The Headstrong Foundation, if you're not familiar, uh, provides a lot of support to families that are going through cancer. Nick Collory was a lacrosse player at Hofstra who tragically passed away um, from his battle with cancer. And the Callory family uh, started Headstrong to kind of provide resources to families that are suffering from cancer. They have Nick's house, which is a house where families can go when their loved ones are experiencing treatment. Um, and, you know, they provide that resources. They, they help with travel expenses. They help, you know, just provide that s- support system for families going through cancer. So we can't think of a better foundation for us to support. Um, so we're going to have a team. We'll be raising money. We'll be growing out our mustaches, um, too, and see who has the best mustache by the end of this. Um, and, you know, all for a good cause. So uh, yeah. we have plans to talk to Pat Collory, who is brothers with Nick. Um, and he's going to talk to us about not only their foundation, but Nick, too, because a lot of people don't realize Nick was a phenomenal lacrosse player. He probably would have been on our podcast, honestly, if he'd been alive today. So we're really looking forward to talking to Pat um, about their foundation. Um, so that's one of the biggest things, you know, we're going to be talking about. Yeah, I, I couldn't be more excited to tag team with the Headstrong Foundation. You know, I'm a Delco guy. Uh, the Calories are Delco guys. I couldn't be more excited to, to raise more awareness for the Headstrong Foundation coming up this off season. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a lot of exciting things going on this off season for us. Again, stick with us. We are going to be bringing you lots of interviews, uh, even more off season discussions. Um, we can't wait for the NLL, you know, to cover that. Um, so we're, we're really excited, and we hope you guys are too. Keep giving us your feedback. Keep leaving reviews on our podcast page on Apple or Stitcher. You know, we, we love hearing from you guys, and we're excited, you know, for where we're going to take this podcast in the future. Um, but that wraps up Episode 31. Thank you all for listening, and we hope you tune in next time to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Mm-hmm.